from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. Posons-nous sérieusement la question de l'avenir que nous voulons et ayons tous ensemble le courage de le construire. Für uns in Deutschland ist das Bekenntnis zum vereinten Europa Teil unserer Staatsräson. A strong united Europe is a necessity for the world because an integrated Europe remains vital to our international order. This is the moment for Europe to lead the way towards a new vitality. Hello and welcome to the CER podcast. I'm Octavia Hughes, host of today's episode, and I'm joined by Camino Mortero Martinez, head of the CER's Brussels office. Today, we'll be discussing the state of Spanish politics and Spain's position in the EU. Welcome back to the podcast, Camino. Thanks so much, Octavia. So it's been a dramatic few days for Spanish politics. The leftist Spanish Socialist Workers' Party, whose leader is Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, has suffered a serious loss in the local and regional elections, which took place at the end of May. Right and far right-wing parties like Vox and the Popular Party did very well. And crucially, Sanchez's junior coalition partner, far-left Podemos, collapsed. This seems like a huge sea change after the left won the 2019 general election. Camino, could you start by telling us whether this was also a shock to pundits in Spain or if this shift to the right had been predicted? Right. So what I can tell you is that it was such a shock that most of the people who I know are interested in Spanish elections were at a barbecue at mine on Sunday, basically thinking, you know, nothing is going to happen, nothing unpredictable is going to happen, so let's sort of ignore these elections. This is a joke, it's an anecdote, but it actually makes sense for two reasons. So the first one is that it's difficult to translate the results of regional and local elections in Spain to what's going to happen in a general election, right? There are many different variables that play in these elections. Obviously, local topics or parties are different sometimes. But also in these elections in particular, we had five autonomous communities or regions in Spain, which were not holding elections. And these were very, very important regions like Castilla y León, where, by the way, PP and Vox govern in coalition, Andalusia, the most populated region in Spain, the Basque Country and Catalonia, obviously two very important regions in Spain, and Galicia, which is the home of both the new leader of PP and the former Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy. So also an important place. None of these places, as I was saying before, were holding regional elections, even though They were having local elections. So, you know, everybody was just like assuming that, yes, PSOE was going to make some losses, especially because Sanchez himself presented this election as a ballot on his management and the balance of his four years in government. Yes, Podemos was going to collapse. I mean, that was something that most people predicted because as a junior partner in the coalition, it had been performing quite badly. And to some extent, everybody sort of foresaw in a way that Ciudadanos, the, I was going to call it the center party, but obviously it has turned to the right lately. That's basically why it disappeared. But yeah, everybody was predicting Ciudadanos not going to make that great. But I don't think people thought it was going to be that bad for Sanchez. And I don't think people thought it was going to be that good for Pepe. It was not that that good for Vox. And we will talk about projections later, but 
Vox is not necessarily projected to grow from 2019. But the most important factor is that indeed Pepe did very well, partially because of the collapse of Ciudadanos in, in many parts of Spain, but basically getting into governments in regions that have historically been uh, tariffs of the soil. I think the most important thing about these elections, though, and the most surprising and the most shocking thing for sure, for me and all those pundits and people who were at my barbecue on Sunday, May 28th, when the elections happened, was not the results of the elections themselves, but actually the fact that Prime Minister Sanchez decided to call for a snap election on Monday. Right. So as you've just said, Sanchez called the snap election just a few hours after the results were announced. So moving the election that was supposed to take place in December to next month on July 23rd. Why do you think he made this decision? And is there actually an appetite for a general election among Spaniards? Well, I mean, there's wild speculation about his personal reasons of calling for this snap election. And I mean, I was in Madrid uh, just last week. I'm not sure his personal reasons for calling the election matter that much. In my view, he had a choice. It was sort of like going all the way to December, being beaten by a lot of the results that we saw and a lot of the, the judgments of his government and these kind of things, and then lose the elections quite badly then, or gamble. And I think Sanchez has shown over the past four years that he's nothing if not a brave politician. So he decided to gamble. He gambled not only an election on July 23rd, which is, as any listener who's been in Spain, a very odd date to be having a ballot on because it's very warm, because most people are on holidays. There's actually a bank holiday in parts of Spain that weekend. So he's gambling on holding an election at a time when no election, no general election has ever been held. So we don't know whether the fact that it's going to be the summer is going to be good for the left, bad for the left whether young people are going to be there, whether they are not, whether old people are going to be discouraged on voting because it's too warm. We don't know any of these things. So he gambled on that. He also gambled what they call the space to his left. So obviously one of the reasons why he wanted to have this as early as possible is that Podemos and his other coalition partners on the left would be coming out very clearly with an idea, with a strategy. And on that respect, there is a very important variable here, which is that uh, Yolanda Diaz, his vice president, who hails from a party close from Podemos and was replacing Pablo Iglesias, uh, the leader of Podemos, when he left. So I was saying Diaz launched her own platform in April with the idea of participating in the elections as a brand on herself. Now, this is going to be very difficult for her since she's probably going to be forced to make a deal with the remainings of Podemos and other leftist forces and go to the elections together with them because she has no time to put together a proper list and a candidacy before July 23rd. Possibly the thing that he gambled the most, and that was surprising to me and to a lot of observers, especially those of us working on foreign policy and European policy, was the Spanish presidency of the Council of the European Union. 
Exactly. So all of this is happening ahead of the country's EU presidency. Where does this leave Spain's position in the EU? Right. So for good and for bad, I don't think Spain's position in the European Union is going to change much. What I mean by that is that both Pepe, who is the projected winner of these elections, and PSOE have rather similar views on the European Union. They're fairly pro-European, fairly pro-integration, and a number of topics are related to the EU. They are more or less on the same page. Now, where I think things get tricky, it's on the presidency itself. And as you may know, if you follow me on Twitter and other places, I don't think rotating presidencies of the European Union are all that important. So I don't think whether a country is holding elections or whether a country is changing governments or whether a country has a government of one sign or another, or for what matters, whether Hungary holds the presidency of the council matters all that much because there are many checks and balances in place, especially after the Lisbon Treaty and into force that ensure that the presidency is there for steering some policy priorities but it's not going to do things if the European Council doesn't want to do things or the Council or the Parliament doesn't want to do things and the other way around. I actually think that only really good or really bad presidencies make a change and that even in that case, the change is rather marginal. The fact that we're going to be changing governments possibly in the middle of the presidency is not going to have such a huge impact that is going to change altogether Spain's position in Europe or things like that. What I do think, and that's what I find puzzling, but that's my personal opinion, is that Sanchez had organized the presidency with a clear vision of presenting Spain and presenting his own leadership as one of change, as one of a progressive country, it's one where country of it's open to migrants, but at the same time leading in some foreign policy, those fears and things like that. And to me, it was surprising that he was willing to sacrifice that for the sake of having an election as early as possible. And somehow he's lost that platform, right? Which in my view is sort of what the presidency is about. The presidency, in my view, after the Treaty of Lisbon established a number of things, like, for example, the high representative for foreign policy or the president of the council, the rotating presidency of the Council of Ministers is now more about a country sort of introducing itself to Europe and introducing Europe to its citizens. So I think that's what the added value of a presidency is. Take I'm thinking of one recent presidency that I was very impressed with, which is the Czech, right? The Czech, Czech presidency was very keen in advancing enlargement. They didn't necessarily go very far with it because everything's determined by circumstances, but they put it on the table. The Estonians, a couple of years ago, really wanted to talk about digital, and we talked about digital a lot during the Estonian presidency. And conversely, you've got a lot of things happening in the country which are about the European Union during the presidency, 
that hopefully help bringing the European Union closer to that country and to places of that country where the European Union often doesn't go. And in the case of Spain, there were a number of priorities, a number of things that Spain wanted to put on the table. Some of them, I think, are going to survive change of guards. And those are probably going to be related to things like energy and things like that. Even though electricity market reform, which was or is going to be one of the priorities, I don't know, was a, one of the pet causes of Vice President Rivera, has been really appreciated here in Brussels. So I'm not sure whether, even though this is in the interest of the country, Pepe and Feijó, if he wins, will still pursue that file in that way. I'm sure that's the file will still be there, but whether he's going to pursue it in that way, I'm not sure. Another file, which I think is slightly going to change if Feijó comes to power, especially because just yesterday he said he will not have people who don't believe in NATO and don't believe in the US being an ally and things like that. And his government, which was a clear dig at Podemos and their NATO sec base, I wonder whether the Spanish presidency under Feijó would have a little bit more focus on defense, which is something that we know the Spanish presidency under Sanchez was not going to have for obvious reasons. And I think perhaps, you know, this and things like economic resilience, which I know the Spanish presidency, as it is, it's going to tackle very much, might be questions that would be on the table under Prime Minister Fejo. I think the biggest question that I would have is whether there is enough time for a potential team of people to put together some political guidelines, intellectual guidelines around the work that has been done for the Spanish presidency and the Sanchez in case Fejo uh, indeed ends up being prime minister and actually having to present the priorities of the Spanish presidency, which have been delayed until September. So will be necessarily be presented by the next prime minister, whether this is Sanchez or Feijo. I think that's my biggest worry. I know that machinery is in place, that diplomats are doing a great job, and there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that has been done and will not be undone. There's a lot of emphasis on Latin America as well, which I doubt the whole government would change. There is, by the way, do not forget, <laughs> we have a meeting of the European political community happening in Granada as well in October. That's going to be interesting to see if there's a change of guard as well. So I guess my main worry is whether you know both parties are thinking about a potential transition and whether there is enough time in the political side of the headquarters of both Pepe and PSOE for a proper handover of the thinking of the European Union if there is a change of Prime Minister. Well, thank you so much, Camino. We'll have to have you back at the end of July to talk about how this has all unfolded. Well, Octavia, I will have to be voting anyway under the heat, so I might as well, you know, pop by for a quick podcast episode to to analyze these results if somebody wants to listen to Spanish politics in the middle of the summer, which I'm not sure about. Thank you very much. And thank you to all our listeners at home as well. If you'd like to stay informed on all things Europe, subscribe to the CER wherever you get your podcasts. Goodbye and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.